Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I'm in that weird zone where on this side, I'm like really, really nervous. And on this side, I'm really, really excited. I'm nervous because I haven't done this in a long time in this capacity. And so just pray for me. But I'm excited because I know what I'm going to share on tonight. And I believe in what I'm going to share on tonight. And I believe that it is going to be something that if you have ears to hear and a heart that's ready to receive, you'll walk away from this place blessed. Not just because I'm going to preach it amazingly, because I really don't know if I'm going to do that. But it's something that I've walked through. And so for the sake of time, I'm going to jump straight into it. And I'm going to start with a well-known scripture that if you've been in church circles a long time, you've heard this message, uh, you've heard this scripture. And it may seem a little bit cliche, but it's Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. See, every one of you sitting in this room tonight has a God-given plan and purpose on your life. No one here is an accident. You are here on purpose. You have a plan by God for your life. I have a plan for God, from God for my life. And you see, for me, I thought that that plan was full-time ministry in the church. I was on staff for five years. And I thought that the plan also involved leading the youth group of this church. But obviously, here I am four years later. I thought, or I should say, I knew back then. I knew like I knew like I knew that that was the plan Sorry, my wife's talking on the front row and she's putting me off. (laughs) See, I thought that was the plan for my life. But how is it that what we expect God's plan for our life to be and what it actually is usually ends up being two different totally things. Like, I know that that was true for my life and I know it was true for another guy's life. In the Bible, Genesis chapter 37 is a story of a young guy by the name of Joseph. He is my all-time favorite Bible character outside of Jesus, because obviously Jesus has to be number one. But Joseph is the man. Um, For the sake of time, I'm not going to read the story. But if if you could, go home, bit of homework. Go home, read Genesis chapter 37 through to about 42. And you will be blessed and you will see why this young man is my hero, and I want to look into his life tonight and see about some of the things that I've learned in my life and what is in his life. And so just to to give you a little bit of background of his story, Joseph, at the young age of 17, gets a dream from God. And in this dream, God reveals the plans and the purposes that he intends 
for Joseph, how he's going to use him. In the dream, he says that, you know what? You're going to be used mightily in the land. You're going to have nations come and bow down before you. I'm going to use you powerfully to not only impact the nation of Egypt, but the nations of the world. And through you, I'm going to save millions of people's lives. How many know at 17, that kind of information... No 17-year-old's going to keep that to themselves. And so he does what every 17-year-old probably would do. Goes to dad, brags to dad about how God's going to use him to save the world. And dad's not impressed. But then he goes to all of his older brothers and says, Guess what? I'm going to rule the world. And you're going to bow down to me. As you can imagine, older brothers... Not that impressed either. As a result, the older brothers develop a little bit of a bad attitude towards Joseph. Joseph then finds himself on a mission from his dad, going to see his brothers. Because of his brother's bad attitudes towards him, they end up selling him into slavery. And so the story goes, there is Joseph cramped up in this little wooden cage on the back of some slave driver's cart, heading into Egypt. And as you could imagine, you could probably excuse Joseph for at that point in his life, asking the big question to God, what the? On one hand, you've just said, I'm going to rule the world. I'm going to help save millions millions of lives. And yet here I am in a cart getting shipped off to Egypt as a slave. What the? How many of us know that like really what we expect God's will for our life to be, for Him right here, right now, that wasn't what He was expecting. And so the title of my message tonight is this, what to expect when you're expecting dot, 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 God's plan for your life. Okay, I'm not talking about pregnancy. As a man, I do not feel qualified to share on that. And so tonight I've got three T's for you. If you're taking notes, which I trust you are, because I believe that God's going to speak to you tonight. And if God does speak to you, how are you going to remember what it is that He's saying to you if you don't have something accessible to be able to write down those God thoughts? So if you're taking notes tonight, I've got three T's for you. And they're truths or trials or tests, whatever you want to call it. But just then I just listed off three T's and I thought that was pretty cool. There are three things that I have learned over the last four years about what it is to walk out the plan of God for your life. And so I'm going to take a drink and then we'll get straight into it because like I said, I'm getting nervous. Thank you. So my first tea for this evening is simply this, trust. Point number one, you've got to trust God. You see, for us, we have the privilege of being able to read through Joseph's story from chapter 37 through to 42. 42. And you can see the journey that God is taking him on to where it gets to the point where he is finally in Egypt, second in command to Pharaoh, ruling 
in the plans and the purpose that God has for his life. We can read through that and we can go, yeah, well done, Joseph. But Joseph did not have the luxury of being able to flick forward a few, a few pages in his life and find out how this thing's going to pan out. The only thing that Joseph had as he's in the car on the way to Egypt is this, the dream that God had placed in his heart. And it's in those moments, all you can do is just trust in God. Trust that He has the best for you in mind. Trust that He is with you always. The Bible says that He will never leave you nor forsake you, that He will be there with you. He will not test you beyond that which you cannot bear. He is with you. And that is all that Joseph had to hold on to. And so trust. You have to trust in God. Trust that He is with you. Has anyone ever heard the phrase, when you're going out to do some kind of activity, especially when you were younger and that activity may not have necessarily been uh, high on your parents' agenda, but you had that phrase that was thrown your way, hey, just remember, Jesus is watching you. Anyone, anyone heard that before? I heard that growing up. And I believe that a phrase like that, when said by a parent or a concerned person in your life, it, it's meant to be a reminder. It's meant to be a reminder that, you know what, no matter what it is that you're doing, whatever your adventures may be this evening, God is with you. And yes, He will see what it is you're doing. But just remember, just remember that. And I know for me, to me, that just resulted in Jesus becoming kind of like the fun police in my life. It's like he was this detective that was just following me everywhere I went, set of handcuffs ready to go. And that if I slipped up, if I did something which was outside the boundaries of the Ten Commandments, whack, handcuffs would be go on and he'd be there because he saw me do it. And bam, what do you know? You're in trouble. And so something that was meant to be a reminder for me of the presence of God to do the right thing just resulted in not faith that Jesus was with me, but instead it was fear that Jesus was following me. And how many of you know that if your perspective of God is not of faith, but of fear, instead of running to God in those moments, you're just going to do the very opposite. And so Jesus, as the fun police in your life, is not going to be the type of perspective that you have of God that when, the uh, when times are tough, you run to Him. Instead, it's actually the opposite and you will start running away from Him. Rather than asking for help, you will retreat. You will isolate yourself. You'll stop going to church. You'll start backing away because your perspective is wrong. It's on a foundation of fear, not faith. But see, for me, I see the presence of God in my life as something totally different now. Who here loves WWE wrestling? Every guy in the place should be raising their hand because at the end of the day, what more could you want from an entertainment show as two guys laying the royal smackdown on one another? Do you smell what The Rock is cooking? No one smells. WWE wrestling, let's face it, we don't watch it for the acting. 
But in wrestling, there is the tag team championship. That's where not one person goes into the ring to battle an opponent, but two people go down to the ringside to have a fight with two other people. One person will enter into the ring with their opposition, but they don't go in it alone. Instead, they go in to the ring knowing that it doesn't really matter who is on the other side. It doesn't matter how big their opponent is because in their corner, there is someone waiting. And that person isn't the fun police, but instead it is their champion, it is their teammate, someone who is going to be going absolutely bunters from the sidelines, cheering them on, encouraging them, stirring in them hope to say, you can do this. I've got my foot up on here. I was contemplating doing some acting, but when I did that on Friday night at youth, I went to jump up on a chair. The chair slid, I almost broke my neck, so I'll just... Stay here in the safe zone. But they're in the corner and they are cheering them on. And you know what? When the person in the middle of the ring is getting pummeled and the fight is getting too overwhelming, you know what? There is the tag team partner waiting to be able to jump in, rescue, get in and fight. When the fight gets too overwhelming, all the person has to do is just raise their hands to, to show, come on, I'm drowning here. This fight is getting too overwhelming. I need someone who's fresh, someone who can get in and help and fight this battle for me. Jesus is in your corner tonight. He is your tag team partner. But you've just got to trust that that is who He is that He is there for you. But I hear you say, how do I know? How can I be sure that He is there with me, that He will never leave me or forsake me? We simply go back to the Bible. See, the Bible is like God's resume. Don't you like when you, when you go to a job interview and you rock up and your future employer wants to see your resume? And why is that? Because your resume is a document of what your past performance is like. Your, your future employer wants to see, well, what were you like in the past? Because that will determine what you're like in the present and what you're going to be like in the future. The Bible is God's resume. It's a documented case of time and time and time and time again of faithful victories where He has stood by the man of God and brought faithful victory into His life. For us, we can go to the Bible and we can look at those faith-filled victories and say that if that was God back then, the God who does not change, the God who is the same yesterday, today and forevermore, if He got those faithful victories for Joseph back in Genesis, He can do that for me here today and He'll do it for me tomorrow. We just need to trust in God. But see, this is the interesting thing about trust as I finally have my voice broken. <sighs> Your trust will be tested. You see, trust is only proved when the pressure is on. And so here I am tonight, coming to you with a word, and I've got to sit here and tell you that you've got to trust in God. But your trust will get tested. For me, it got tested today. Here I am, getting ready to preach this message tonight, talking to you about how you've got to trust in God. This is not a game. 
this is real. Three o'clock this afternoon, I get a phone call saying your dad's getting loaded into an ambulance and he's getting rushed to hospital. Yay! Fun times. I've got to preach to the whole church about trusting in God and I'm getting a phone call saying that my dad's probably in the hospital right now having a heart attack. What am I going to do? You know what? I do the one thing that I can do. I can't go down there and fix it. I'm not a doctor. All I can do is the one thing that I can do, and that is trust in my God. Trust that He will be there. Why? Because I've got a Bible that tells me that I can trust Him. I've got a Bible full of stories where God takes things that are totally out of our control, but they are in His control and He will come through. Never give up on God because He won't give up on you. See, I wish I had an iPad because it would be so much easier than trying to flick around some pages, but I don't. I did actually have one. The youth guys got together and they thought that they would bless me by getting me an iPad and it was so cool, except I left it in the car one Friday. Actually, it was Good Friday. Going back a couple of years, I left it in the car park at church. And guess what? It got stolen out of the car at church on Good Friday. Who steals a person's iPad from a church on Good Friday? But you know what? It was still a Good Friday. So my first point is this, trust. You've got to trust in God. The second point is this. You've got to rely on God's timing. You've got to rely on God's timing. Have you ever had a meme moment in your life? Who here knows what a meme is? A meme is a moment that's caught on film or caught on cap, uh, captured on, on photo to which then someone will then take that moment and they will add their label to it. Could you imagine the memes that would come up in Joseph's life? You know, here he is, the big man of God, getting the dreams that he's going to one day rule the world and yet here he is stuck in prison, sold into slavery. I don't know about you, but I've had many a meme moment in my life. Moments that really don't make me look that good. I mean, you think about it. I was on staff, now I'm not. I was leading the youth group, now I'm not. You think about what those moments could have been like for me? What labels could have been put on me at that time? There is an enemy out there who would love to label you in your moment. And those labels aren't going to be good. For me, there were lots of times where I could have rested in those moments and listened to the labels that the enemy would have put on me. There was times where I could have let other people's labels rest on my life and had those labels dictate to me. But you know what I found was the biggest label, or should I say the loudest voice? It wasn't that of the enemy. And it wasn't the labels that came from others. It was the labels that came from myself. You failed, Drew. You weren't really called to do that, Drew. What kind of failure are you that you, you're now, for, for 10 years at being in youth, you talked about how you were called to lead the youth group and you had done this and you said this and you said that and now here you are, you're not on staff, you're not doing this. And I found that I actually started to believe the labels that I was putting upon myself. 
As a result, I started building up defences in my life, walls around me, because you know what? All of a sudden I found out that I was getting hurt. These labels were hurting my confidence. They were hurting my security and who I was. And so I would build up all these walls to start protecting myself. But then I had this revelation. I had the revelation this year in the Feb Fast. God's Word is higher than my Word. And so it doesn't really matter what label I put on my life because my voice is not the highest authority in my world. It's God's voice. It's God's Word, which is the highest authority in the world. It's by His Word that He created the world. And you know what? His Word says that I'm not a failure. I'm not a loser. Instead, His Word, His voice into my life, the labels that He puts on me is that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that I am the apple of His eye. The enemy wants to keep you captive in your moments. He wants to hold you there. But see, this is the thing. There's a lot of good that can come out of moments. Moments can make you stronger. In your moments, you can learn something. You can learn perseverance. You can learn what it is to press in and have your faith go deeper, your reliance deeper on God. There are so many things that your moments can do for you, but the key is this, perspective. See, what I've learned coming off staff, I've been off staff for nearly four years now. If I allowed that moment to rule my life, I wouldn't be standing here tonight preaching to you. But you know what? I learned to press play rather than keep it pressed on pause. I let the, pl- uh, the tape play on because you know what? I know that God is, the, begin- uh, is the, the, the Lord and Master of my beginning and my end and everything in between. And so it doesn't really matter what is happening now. I've just got to stay faithful because you know what? Tomorrow is a new day and there's new mercies that come with tomorrow. The key is your perspective. God works all things for the good for those who love Him. If you, no matter how hard the circumstance gets, decide to give up, then you stop. And God's plans for you, no matter how good, how great, how grand, will always remain over there. But you know what? The battle will get tough. And your moments, when you get those phone calls at three o'clock in the afternoon, just before you go to preach, if you give up, It's always a way. But this is what I've learned. No matter how small or slow my movement is in those times, I'm still etching my way closer and closer and closer and closer to the plans and the purpose that God's got for my life. It does not matter where you are at now. It's what is coming your way. Press play, don't press pause. So this is the interesting thing about Joseph. Joseph received his dream at age 17. He didn't get put in charge of Egypt by Pharaoh till he was 30 years old. 13 years he had to just keep faithfully trusting in God, resting in God's timing, not looking at the circumstance and letting the circumstance dictate his faith in God. Because This is the thing. He sold into slavery. He was put into Potiphar's house as a slave. Things happen as a result. He gets put in prison. But you know what? He kept trusting in God. He kept resting in God's timing because he knew 
like he knew that the God who promised the plan for his life was faithful. So point number one, you've got to trust in God. Point number two, you've got to rest in His timing. And point number three, this is, these are the things I've learned over this time, is you've got to work together. Trust, timing, and together. You see, what Joseph needed for his future, whether he knew it or not, was actually found in other people. As you read through the story, Joseph's brothers were used by God to position him to get to, uh, to Potiphar's house. Whilst in Potiphar's house, he was being uh, chiseled away by God as God was refining his character. From Potiphar's house, he went into prison. And the prison guard was used by God to position him to get to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh was then used by God to promote him to the position of ruler of Egypt. All these things were found from other people, but were essential and crucial for Joseph to have his plan or God's plan fulfilled in his life. Most of what God has for you is found in others. And so you've got to work together. You've got to work together with the people that God put in your life. See, working together does so many things that being isolated can't achieve. Just the other week, Chris spoke an amazing message on faith. And in that message, he talked about the four friends that grabbed the, paraple uh, the paraplegic and took him to Jesus. And it said, as Chris said, that the faith of, uh, it wasn't the faith of the man who got his healing. It was the faith of the four friends. See, when you work together, what you are doing could be for someone else. You could be standing in faith for someone who can't stand for themselves. But if you're not working together, what you can bring won't be able to make an impact into other people's life. Working together is a generational thing. See, here I am getting absolutely blessed by the words that Chris spoke over me and Kel's life. But you know what? Depending on how you look at that, if I was stuck in my mean moment, I could have sat there and gone, wow, you know what? I poured 10 years into that life and now here I am watching this guy just get all the credit and all the glory for what's going on. But you know what? I didn't waste 10 years of my life. Instead, I sowed 10 years of my life. And now the next person gets to build on what I sowed. I'm working together because together we, were, we achieve more. Chris gets to build on what I've already done rather than have to do all that hard work for himself and start afresh. We're, the, one of the biggest blessings that I, I, I had Friday night the other, the other week was seeing Paige Cooper. When I left youth, she was one of our year eights. And so two weeks ago, I get to see her as a year 12 she is still in the same youth group. She has had so many things in her life that could have made her stop, give up all these different things. But you know what? For the last four years where I've been absent, she has kept plugged in because she's seen something bigger. But this is the thing. She wasn't just there. I saw her behind the counter serving after four years sewing herself. That is the generational blessing that I received from being able to work with not stay isolated. And so Paige, I just want to commend you. You're awesome. I love you and I reckon you're great. 
So working together, the pros far outweigh the cons. But see, the thing is, there is cons. There is a catch to working together with other people. I said to before that Joseph was in prison. While he was in prison, there were two other people that were put in prison with him. One was a cupbearer, one was a baker, and they were servants of the king, of Pharaoh at the time. While they were in prison, they both received dreams. Longs and shorts of it, Joseph was able to interpret the dreams for the baker. It didn't turn out too good for him, but for the cupbearer, it was really good because it meant that he was going to be restored back to his position as cupbearer to Pharaoh. And so just like uh, Joseph had interpreted the dream, the cupbearer was reinstated back in Pharaoh's courts. And Joseph's parting words to the cupbearer was this, when you stand before Pharaoh, remember me. In other words, you're my meal ticket here. You're my way of getting out of this thing. Remember me. When you get to Pharaoh, put in a good word for me. Get me out of this thing because it's prison and I hate it here. But the Bible says that two years passed. Talk about disappointment. You know, when you work together with other people, there is an element of trust that you have to put in them. And then with that element of trust comes the element of risk. Will that person deliver or will they let me down? Will that person come through with the goods or will I end up disappointed by putting my trust in them, working together with them? When you work with other people, there is always the element of getting hurt, being let down, disappointed. The two years that Joseph was in prison, this is the way I kind of look at the story. Have you ever thought that maybe it just took two years for Joseph to get over that hurt? I asked this guy to get me out of here and he didn't do it and he stewed on it and stewed on it and stewed on it and then all of a sudden two years went past. He finally realised, actually, this is not worth stewing on. God's like, ooh, I can use you now because you finally got over it. Guess what? I'm going to promote you now and get you out of this thing. Guys, everything that goes on in your world is a lesson that you can learn something. And God is waiting there just going, will you learn that lesson? And I'm telling you, yes, there is the opportunity to, to get hurt. There is the possibility that you'll be disappointed if you work with others. But you know what? There is so much good that comes out of working with others. For me, over these last four years, rather than back off, I chose to press in. And so by choosing to work with others, I got fathered. I had people in my world that would father me through this season. They would speak to me and they would be for me what I needed them to be because I didn't have that at the present. I have found friendship. By working together with people within the life of the church, I found that I had brothers around me that I could rest on, lean on, talk to. I got challenged. The Bible says that wounds from a friend can be trusted. We talk about the hurt that comes from disappointment. There is also a hurt that comes from friends who know you, who are friends of your destiny, but they say things that you don't want to hear. For me, over the four-year period, I had Benno in my life, and I love that man to bits. But you know what? Every time I had an issue in my life, he was the last person that I went to. Seriously, I avoided him. 
Isn't it funny how we know what we need to do, but we always just avoid the things that we need to do because we don't want to do them? And the reason why I avoided him was because he was the one person that I knew would tell me exactly what I needed to hear, whether I liked it or not. Most of the time, I didn't like it. But because of his friendship and the fathering that he gave to me, you know what? I became a better person. I was able to take on board the painful words, the painful wounds from that friend. But you know what? I could trust those words. And as a result, I got bigger and better for it. But not only that, when you, when you work together, it's just more fun. At the end of the day, it's more fun. The amount of times when building this stage, we would be, there'd be a group of us here to like 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock in the morning. And you know what? It didn't become about the stage build anymore. It just became about having fun. All those things come from working together with one another. And so the question that I've got for you is who is in your world? Who are the people in your world that you can turn to? Who are your Benos? Who are your fathers or mothers? Who are your friends? Who will be giving you those woundful kisses that can be trusted? So when it comes to the plan that God has for your life, you just got to know that He knows the plans that He has for you. Not He knows the plans that you have for your life. His plans are to give you a hope and a future. Not to bring you harm, but to prosper you. But the process is a simple one. You've got to trust Him. Trust that He has the best for you. Trust that He will be there regardless of what the circumstance dictates to you. The circumstance may say panic and run, but you just got to trust Him. You got to rest in His timing. It doesn't matter what it looks like now. It's what it's going to look like in 10 years time. And if you stay faithful, here I am. I'm four years later. I thought my life could have gone one way, but you know what? I chose to press in and here I am four years later, still being used by God to impact the church. And it's in His timing. And I've got to just find my last page. So God's plan for my life didn't stop when I came off staff. It was just the start of a new chapter. And like I said, here I am four years later, still being used by God. And you know what? In 10 years time, I still hope I'm being used by God. This is the cool thing for me. I got 10 years up my sleeve. I'm 33 years old. I'll be 43 in 10 years time. You know what? I'm still younger than Tony. And look what he's, but look what he's been able to achieve in his lifetime. I still got plenty of years left in me. Why would I want to give up? Why would I want to stop trusting in God? I trust him. I'm resting in his timing. And I'm working together with a group of people who still believe that God's not done with me. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au.